We're now going to read our first passage, uh, first part of the passage, which Craig will be preaching for us this morning from 1 Kings. So if you have a Bible, please open to 1 Kings chapter 22, and we're going to read the first part. It's 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not here another prophet of the Lord whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Shinar, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. 
And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Shinan, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah. Take him back to Amon, the governor of the city, and say to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you peoples. So the reading for this morning's sermon is again from 1 Kings chapter 22. I'll be reading um, from verses 29 to 40, following on from where Charles ended. So I'll give you a moment to arrive there. That's 1 Kings chapter 22, starting at verse 29. Right, starting at verse 29. Hear the word of the Lord. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore, he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day. And the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And about sunset, a cry went through the army, every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. And they buried the king in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria. And the dogs licked up his blood and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house that he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Thanks, Craig. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Charles and Janine and everyone else who's been involved in the service so far. And a happy Chinese New Year to everybody, particularly if you celebrated. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of red as I look around. I, I, I should probably have put on red, but it's apparently, I'm told, the worst color for me. It just makes me look sick and it drains, drains from me. But happy Chinese New Year. My family celebrated that last night with a family from this church. And what a wonderful time we had. I think I put on a kilogram or two, because there was everything under the sun to eat. 
And it was just great to, to celebrate that with uh, a family in Christ. So I hope for those who do celebrate Chinese New Year, you've had a, a lovely time. And uh, that the Lord bless you as you go on into this, this year. Well, we have, we've now come to the point where we are closing our series in 1 Kings, which is a series we started last year and then paused and picked up again now. And this is the last chapter of 1 Kings. So I hope you've got a Bible with you. If you're new in our midst, our, our custom is to read passages of the Bible and then to talk about that in the sermon so that we are hearing God's voice. And the idea is that it's not so much what I'm saying. We want you to look in the text because I've done some work on it. I've prayed about it, but I'm human. We want you to look at the text and see if you can see for yourself that God is saying what I am putting to you. Well, let's start. Fidentia was a South African asset managed company. It was called Fidentia Asset Management. And they are known because of a huge scandal that took place over some years, but it came to be known in 2007. It was revealed then in 2007 that the director of the company had blown, listen to this, had blown a hundred million Australian equivalent dollars on fraud. It, It was money that had been invested, particularly money that belonged to mine workers, widows, and orphans. It was a fund for mine workers, widows, and orphans. And this man led the blowing, because of fraud, of 100 million Australian dollars of other people's money. It's known as one of the biggest scandals in South African finance. But it's also one of the most heart-wrenching scandals because the, the most needy people in society were robbed by the most privileged. It's a horrible story. And think about the name of the company, Fidentia. It is Latin, exact, direct translation from the Latin for Fidentia is confidence. And so they go out and doing business, advertising themselves, and what they're saying is, have confidence in us. Trust us. This isn't a meaningless name like many companies have, like, you know, perhaps Eagle Asset Management or Southern Cross Asset Management. The name effectively said, trustworthy asset management. And it was just lies. Lies are the way of the world. They, they may be uh, big lies in our world, and we see it often, this kind of scandal. It's a front page kind of stuff. But also, lies may be small, and they happen all the time. People are always lying. A small one, perhaps, like the phone call from a workmate saying their morning has not started very well, so they're running a bit late. They're probably going to be about 10 minutes late. But actually, they really want a Macca's flat white, and so they're going to just pull past Macca's and get coffee on the go. Now, that kind of lie doesn't do the damage to the scale of Fidentia. It's just 10 minutes of inconvenience for the rest of the work team that are waiting for their workmates. Well, if the team finds out, there may be a bit more damage because then trust in that person starts to erode. The thing is that lies cause damage to some extent. 
And because lies are so common in our world, people lie. Because lies are so common, because they cause damage, we must conclude that there's a lot of damage in our world because people are not about the truth. People tend to lie. And the intriguing thing about lies is that people often lie to themselves. It's a strange thing. But they lie to themselves because they want the thing of the lie to be real. It fits how they want things to be, so they lie to themselves. For example, these days police officers in many countries wear cameras on their chests so that they have evidence of what actually happened. There are many cases on the internet, and I'm thinking most of the ones I've seen in the USA, uh, cases on the internet of criminals being shot dead by the police because they pointed a weapon at the police. What are the police supposed to do if someone pulls a weapon and points it at them? They have to take action. But then you find, as you look on the internet, when the mothers or the fathers are interviewed, or the ones that of, of the person that's now deceased, when they are interviewed, so often they slam the police because, you see, their boy was not a criminal. No, they don't know him like that. He's a wonderful boy. He's a great son. And so they lie on public media because they've seen the evidence. They've seen what they, their son did. They, the, the evidence is plain. And yet they, they believe their story, their narrative about their son. Uh, they lie to themselves. It's not uncommon for family to believe lies about loved ones because the truth is hard to face. Sometimes it's very hard. But the lies will only cause more damage. These lies that we tell ourselves about our family, they're only going to cause more damage. Thinking about the case of these tragic situations where they are shot dead, they're only going to cause more damage as the wicked son is tacitly supported by mum and dad who hold up the lie. They never get to see. They never get to be confronted with what they are really like. And so with all that said about lies, the passage this morning is riddled with lies. And as always, great damage flows from these lies. Let's look, let's look at them and let's see what happens. The story opens with a problem. There's a problem with the nation of Syria, also known as Aram. We've, we've known in one king so far that they had a king called Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, the king of Aram. His father had taken a number of Israel's cities, and one of them was Ramoth-Gilead. And Ben-Hadad had promised to return all those taken cities. But he didn't restore Ramoth-Gilead, probably because it was a strategic city at a strategic location. If you can see on the map, you'll see that it's on the border, just at the bottom of, of Aram or of Syria. And so now Ahab, king of Israel, is seeking a political solution to get that city back. 
There's a, it's a time of peace now between Israel, the northern kingdom of God's people, and Judah, the southern kingdom. They're not fighting. And in fact, King Jehoshaphat, Judah's king, is now visiting with Ahab. And so Ahab seizes the opportunity to f- try and forge a battle alliance so that together the two kings can go and fight Ben-Hadad. Now, let's think a lot about Ahab for a while in the rest of the sermon, because he's full of lies. The character of Ben-Hadad of Syria, of Aram, he's bad because he hasn't kept his promise. Can't trust him. But look at the character of Ahab. Last week, when Charles preached, we saw how he had repented of his terrible wickedness when he tried to steal and then his wife organized the the, the murder. He tried to steal the vineyard of of Naboth and then he eventually got it through murder. He repented of this deep wickedness. We saw last week God grant him mercy. But now we find that actually he's still full of evil. He goes on to brazenly rebel against God. What you have is a deeply wicked person. This is not a believer who's struggling with sin. This is a man who knows what is right and wrong, who has has even received mercy from God, and yet, with all that background, he actually couldn't care less. Look at how manipulative he is. He is, as the story opens, he's with Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. But in Jehoshaphat's presence, he talks about his political problems with Syria, not to Jehoshaphat, he talks about it with his servants. And then after doing that, he turns to Jehoshaphat and asks whether he will join in battle. Why did he not raise the issue with Jehoshaphat straight up? Why didn't he say to him, you know, fellow king, we have this problem with Syria. Uh, We've had to be quiet up until now and just put up with it. Would you help? Would you be willing to do something with us? It seems that rather he bemoans the unhappy state of affairs to his servants so as to prime Jehoshaphat for the question. It's got a manipulative feel to it. Well, Jehoshaphat is willing, but he wants to know what the Lord says first. Jehoshaphat, as we will see in the story, he's not a perfect man, but he does have high regard for the Lord. So he wants to know what does the Lord say about this? Now, Ahab, as we've seen through our series so far, is a wicked man. What does he do? Remember, he's a manipulative man. Well, he gathers 400 prophets to ask them, what does the Lord say about going into battle? And right there, we have a problem. I wonder if you can see it. Do you see it? Why does he need 400 prophets? It really looks like he's manipulating things. The king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, he wants to know what God thinks before he commits to a battle. So it looks like then Ahab goes all out to make it look like God is most loudly and most definitely giving the go-ahead because 400 prophets are saying the same thing. But it doesn't work because Jehoshaphat is not satisfied. Look at verse 7. 
Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Why does he question the word of the 400 prophets? Well, we're not told. But unlike Ahab, he is a good king. He's not perfect. He's probably a bit of a people pleaser. But he does know the Lord. And so he knows something is off here. Something is off with the 400. He probably can tell that he's with a manipulator. And so in response to the the, the question about another prophet, Ahab says, there is Micaiah. But Ahab does not like hearing from Micaiah because he doesn't like what Micaiah tends to say. He judges the messenger by the message. Micaiah is God's messenger. Well, in this, we see what Ahab is like. He is a man of lies. He doesn't want to live by what is plainly true. He just doesn't like the message, so he doesn't like the messenger. And he wants to cancel him. In our social media world, people are so readily judged and dismissed because they speak things or post things that other people don't like. And so just again in the news lately, J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter series, she is slammed by many leftists for saying that your sex is determined by your biology and not by your feelings. And she is being slammed as a hater. She's being slammed as a bigot. But it is a physical reality that your sex is determined by your biology. biology. And it is something that, that most people in the world believe. And it's only until recently that some have changed that. And so just because some people don't like this truth that she is speaking, this reasonable position, because they don't like her words, they don't like her, and she is slammed as a bigot. This matter about uh, gender isn't about wanting truth. It's about wanting to propagate a false ideology. And so people who, who slam her, they want to live by lies. And they can't deal with the truth. And so they've got to try and squash it by treating her in that way. Ahab might have an issue with Micaiah, the man, the prophet, but he actually doesn't really. He has an issue with the truth. He has an issue with God because it's God's word that Micaiah is speaking. And so as we continue to look at Ahab, we find that he's a man of shocking character. He chooses to block his ears like a petulant child who refuses to listen to his sibling as they disagree, as his sibling tries to reason. I don't need to hear you. La, 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 la. That's what he's like. He's just closed to the truth. He's a man of lies. People who won't listen, people who just shut others down, who won't consider what they have to say, are people who like lies. They're not people who are thirsty for the truth. They are characterized by lies. And lies cause damage. 
Ahab is a terrible man. What else shows his true character? Well, there's much you can find in the text and you can scour through the text in your own time, but I want to look at some more things. Have a look at how ridiculous he is. In verse 15, when he is asked about going into battle, Micaiah gives Ahab and those assembled the same answer as the 400 prophets. He says, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Now, Micaiah knows that's not true. Is he lying? No, he's not lying. Because immediately we find Ahab saying that that's not true. He knows it's not true. I think what's probably going on here is it's probably been said in a a tone like you might say to an argumentative person who is trying to push their falsehood. They are arrogantly insisting that they are right and they've got no foundation for their position. It's patently untrue. They're not listening. You might say something like, yes, John, the earth is indeed flat. And yes, the whole world of aviation and satellite communications is involved in a gigantic conspiracy making out that the earth is a sphere. Yes, John. See, would you be lying if you spoke like that? You're not lying. John knows you don't agree. There's sarcasm in what you're saying. He knows you don't think like that. And so Ahab, when Micaiah said it's, it's, it, the battle is good, the Lord says it's good, go and do it, uh, everyone knows that's not true. And Ahab probably looked like a fool in front of Jehoshaphat when Micaiah spoke what was plainly what he didn't believe. And so Ahab had to insist that he give the real prophecy. And what he gave was bad for Ahab. Because the truth is, when we look at verse 17, the truth is that the nation is going to lose their shepherd. Go into battle and you will die. The sheep will be scattered. Have a look at verse 17. Micaiah said, now he's speaking about what he actually saw. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. It's a very significant verse to take note of. And we'll get to why later. Sheep that have no shepherd. This is a disaster. This isn't just a disaster for the people of Israel of that time. This isn't just a disaster for Ahab himself. It's actually a disaster for the whole world, this news. For the entire world. Because the eternal future of the world depends, if you read your Bible, depends on the future of God's chosen people. It it depends on the descendants of Abraham. Because God had made a promise that salvation, blessing, would come to the world through Abraham's line. Genesis 12 tells you that. And so as God's people develop in Israel, which then became Israel and Judah, which was a problem because they had split. But as they're developing under King David and then King Solomon, it's looking so good. The promise is coming to something. The world is looking on. The world is finding blessing. And now we hear that it's all breaking down and the shepherd is going to be gone and the sheep are going to be scattered. It's all breaking apart. What is going to happen What is going to happen to God's great promise to Abraham? 
of blessing for the whole world. It's not going very well. The story of the kings of Israel is one of decline into nothingness because the kings are evil. And here is an arch evil king. And the people under these kings are evil as well. God's people require a shepherd who will bring them together. God's people require a shepherd who will care for them and who will lead them into godliness. This Ahab character is the worst kind of shepherd. The last kind of shepherd the people need. And we saw how ugly he was last week when he sought to take Naboth's vineyard illegally. And when he eventually got it through cold-blooded murder arranged by his wife, he was happy. What kind of a king is that? He has no love for his sheep. He's not a, he's not a, a shepherd, he's a wolf looking out for his own well-being. Ahab is bad, and so are the people in the land who tow his line. Remember when Micaiah was called? What did the messenger who summoned him tell him to do as he's bringing him in to the presence of, of these kings, of Jehoshaphat and Ahab? Remember, he encouraged him to speak in accord with what the, other, the 400 prophets had said. In verse 13, he said that their words were favorable to the king. And so he coaxed Micaiah to be the same. See, it's a king of lies and a people of lies. And how bad is Ahab, the man of lies? Well, he is so bad that we see how a lying spirit in the heavenly realm is sent to entice him. What, we, what we're seeing there is that this man, this Ahab, is so tuned for lies, such is his character, that the Lord knows he can be enticed. Now, as an aside, people ask whether this means that the Lord is evil because he seeks to lead a man to lies. And while I could spend a sermon's amount of time on this, the answer is no. God is sovereign. Evil is around in the, in, in the, in the spiritual realm. The sovereign God can direct evil spirits without being evil himself. But anyway, notice that God has revealed to Ahab that there's a lying spirit. And so that, that's been shown to him. Uh, he's, he's been told the background. He's been told what happened in the heavenly court. So Ahab, know, Ahab knows the truth about the lying spirit. This is not deception. The point of the story is to show that Ahab is so bad that he is able to be enticed with lies. Lies are his language. And so when that spirit is sent, that lying spirit, he will be enticed. He is in accord with lying. He's not duped. He's enticed. His character fits with the lying character of that bad spirit. And so this piece in the story is there to show us just how bad a king Israel had. He's a horrible king. And he is so bad that he still wants to live according to the lies, even when he's been shown the truth. He, he's, he knows what's actually going to happen. But you, he, you know, he thinks he can go and control the God-ordained outcome by disguising himself as just an ordinary soldier. 
So he's doesn't, he doesn't plan to go into battle dressed as a king. And he's such a bad person that he persuades King Jehoshaphat, who seems to be a little naive, to be the only one to go into battle with king's clothes on. And probably hoping that the Syrians will kill him, thinking he is Ahab. He is so bad a king, so bad for the people of Israel, that look again at, at verse 17. The second half of verse 17 is striking. I wonder if you can see how it shows that this guy is very bad. Let me read it to you, see if you can see it. This is what Micaiah said. He said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. Do you see how that shows how bad this king is? It really is bad, as we've seen already, for the nation to be scattered. That is to break apart God's promise of building this nation that would bring blessing to the world. Things are going in the wrong direction. And yet, in verse 17, when we see that the people have no master, they return home in peace. When the king is gone, they have peace. What does this mean? Well, it, it means that they are better off without Ahab. That's how bad he is. Well, the story ends with Ahab shot by a random arrow, which struck him in a place where his armor had a weak spot. And he is struck in such a way that he bleeds slowly, propped up in his chariot until he died in the evening. It's a pathetic picture. That is how his arrogance has ended. This man, so full of himself, is the antithesis of a shepherd who cares for God's people. His story ends in ugliness. His blood drains from him, we are told, all over his chariot. And then when they go to wash the chariot, dogs come and lick it up like scavengers eating the leftovers of a predator. And not only that, we're told that uh, the prostitutes wash in the water, probably in the, in the river where the, where the washing is happening and the blood goes in to the river, washing in blood-mingled water. It's just a horrible picture. It is not an honorable ending. This is arrogance filled with lies brought down to the lowest of lows. That is essentially how Kings 1 Kings closes. What do we do with this? Well, there are two things I want us to consider. The first is stand on God's word. Stand on truth. Ahab ruled his way in spite of God's word being to the contrary. And he knew it was God's word. Be ever so wary of people who insist that they are right and go against the scriptures. Be very wary of people like that. There are many. There are churches around and about that say that we need to get with the times. 
that what the Bible says about, for instance, these are just examples, what the Bible says about sexuality is outdated. Or what the Bible says about miracles is outdated. It's the stuff of a people prone to myth. We know more now. So, so we, don't, we don't go with that part of the Bible. Be wary of people like that. There, if there is a God, a sovereign, all-powerful God, and he has spoken, then he has spoken uh, a word that is inerrant and infallible. And then they'll say to you, we are all about inclusivity. Back then in the Bible, people were just full of warmongering. And so it's not right to say that Jesus is the only way. All religions are, have God ways to God, they will say. And so it goes on. But you see, Ahab heard from heaven. And he decided to ignore what he heard. He was a fool. We, we've also heard from heaven. John chapter 1 and verse 1. That beautiful gospel begins like this. In the beginning was the word. Who is the word? The word is Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Chapter 1 verse 1 takes us to the heavenly realm, to the spiritual realm. And tells us about Jesus. And then in the same chapter verse 14 we are told, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we, says John, we, John and the others, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Heaven has come into the world in Christ, in Jesus. And he has spoken. We have his word. We know the truth. It must be told. And we must live our lives according to his word. Even if, like Micaiah, we are reviled by a society that hates that word. And so the first thing to do, uh, to go away with, is to stand on God's word, no matter what pressure you face, because you've heard from heaven. The second thing is, look to the good king. God's great promise for the world needs a king, needs a good king. A king from the Jews. That's how God set it up. A king from the Jews who would bring blessing to the world. A king who loves his people. There's a contrast if, when you read the whole Bible between this terrible king Ahab. He's not that king. You know that one kings, uh, two kings was written to the exiles. Eventually the southern kingdom Judah was taken by Babylon. And, uh, and the people taken into exile there under King Nebuchadnezzar. And what would they have been thinking? They were thinking, what's happened? Israel has been taken away, and now the, the, the remainder, Judah's, well, we're done. We're now in a foreign land. What, what's going on? What's happened to God's plan? Well, one, one and two kings are written to give them hope. When we read about Micaiah here and see heaven is in control, we have hope. It isn't that God has lost power and, and, and there's nothing he can do. Heaven is involved. And the story then continues down into the Bible. God is in control. And the story continues to unfold down into the Bible. And we get this in Mark chapter 6 and verse 34. 
And there's so much you can find all over the New Testament as you see how all this comes together. We get this in Mark 6.34 as Jesus goes ashore coming off a boat and he, this is where he ends up feeding the 5,000. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is a king who cares. The other king Ahab didn't care to shepherd them, he cared to use them. And eventually when he's taken off the scene, we're told that the people are scattered, there's no shepherd. And then we're shown actually they're better off because there's peace. He's a terrible shepherd. But here is one who loves the sheep. He has compassion. What do they need? What do these sheep need? What does he do out of compassion for these people? It says, and he began to teach them many things. What do they need? What have they been starved of? Truth. They've been starved of truth. What exactly is he teaching them? We're coming to a close now. One more verse. One more scripture. How does Mark start? How does Mark start the story? Well, let's pick it up in chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Now, after John, John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the gospel, the good news, the truth, the, 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 the momentous news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled. Everything that God has been promising, as we've seen the, 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 the building up to God's promises and then the disappointment as the nation fails, but the prophet's speaking promise, everything that God has been promising has now come to fulfillment. This is it. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Here we have the actual kingdom and a kingdom needs a king. And the king is Jesus who's come to put everything right. What do the people need to do? They need to repent and believe in the gospel. And as you read through Mark or the other gospels, you start to see how it all works. And it all ends with a man on a cross, this king on a cross, this king bringing salvation to sinners. There he is on that cross, nailed to that cross with his blood draining from his body. And that blood would have run down, I'm sure down to the foot of the cross. But this is precious blood. This life given because he loves his sheep. He wants to see them saved. The other king couldn't care. His blood runs into his chariot and ends up in the stomachs, stomachs of dogs and on the bodies of prostitutes. So dishonorable, so wasted. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the shepherd. And so look to him. Have faith in him. Have confidence in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the scriptures that show us Jesus. This morning we see a great contrast. Perhaps we are believers and there are times when we feel discouraged. There are times when perhaps the mundane routine of life causes us to not marvel at Jesus. We pray that 
we would see how wonderful he is, how good he is, how much he loves us and serves us by going to the cross, unlike Ahab, who used his people. Help us to have great regard for Jesus. Help us to stand on his word, on what is true, even when it's hard. And help us who maybe are in our presence who don't believe. Open eyes, open hearts to see that the hope of eternity is only in Christ Jesus, whose blood was shed on the cross for all who would believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.